Hey guys, we're really looking forward to having you listen to our current series called The Family Table. We want to preface this specific episode by filling you in on some tragic news within our own community. You see, over the weekend, two police officers in our city, McAllen, were shot and killed in the line of duty. To begin, our hearts and our prayer goes out to those families. Further, in this episode, not only does our friend Izzy join us for a wonderful discussion, we go back and forth in a series of topics such as police reform. We want to be very clear. The examples in our episode are just that. They are examples. That is it. We do not claim to be professionals in this area of policy, and while we desire to see reform, we are not advocating for the abolishment of our law enforcement departments. And with that being said, we hope that you enjoy today's episode. Thank you. There's no place like the family table, a place where we can all be free. There's no place like a family table, where there's a space for you and me. Or you can bring your thoughts and you can bring your opinions. And all we ask for you is that you're willing to listen. You can tell us anything that you might be thinking. Even if that means that my thoughts will be seen. Hey everybody, thank you guys for joining us here at the Confessional Taco. We just want to say thank you guys for being awesome and giving us some, some good combos and enjoying our conversations. We know that we are probably your favorite podcast. Probably. Um, yeah. Uh, Joe Rogan ain't got nothing on us. I mean, we are much more professional. We we uh, talk to people. That's right. Uh, we also do stuff. With stuff and Joe Rogan doesn't that doesn't do that stuff. Um, but we want to welcome you guys back to the family table. We have Izzy here again. What up? Izzy is joining us. We're going to continue our conversation from last week. Marco, say hi to the people. What's up, guys? What's up, guys? I always think it's so funny when you do that. Like your hellos and your goodbyes are hilarious. <laughs> Bye, guys. Hey, guys. Bye, guys. What does that remind me of? I don't even know. But anyway, so last week we were talking about um, police reform, Texas Rangers. We were talking about the KKK. We were talking about the heart issue versus systemic issue, but it's not a versus. It's actually an and. It's a difference. There's a disconnect between orthodoxy and orthopraxy. For those of you guys who don't know what that is, Pastor Marco, what is orthodoxy and what is orthopraxy? I mean, orthodoxy, it, it can be rooted in... in, in what you would consider doctrine. And doctrine is a set of beliefs by which you live by or a set of beliefs upon which you are convicted and therefore hold those positions. Orthopraxy is how you would carry that doctrine out in your life. You mean how you practice it? How you practice it. So what you believe shapes how you live. That makes sense. I just made that up on the spot. I've never said that ever. Orthodoxy, doctrine, orthopraxy, practice. That's how I remembered it when we were studying it. Yeah, that, that. Yep, yeah, that's exactly but it. Theology. Whoever studies that, who studies that anymore? It reminds me of that one saying, your identity determines your activity. Some guy said that. Someone. Who said that? Some loser? <laughs> Some Mexican. Some Mexican. <laughs> who would have who would have gotten murdered by the Texas Rangers if you were back in the day? But not today. But not today, because that's, that's who we all want to be. <laughs> Actually, the Mexicans have infiltrated the Texas Rangers. That's true. That's right. So... Before we, <laughs> before we left off on our last podcast, Izzy, you were about to go into a rabbit trail. Can you take us in there? Yes. So, so last week, we left, left off on how the Texas Rangers kind of operated with impunity, with impunity. Um, and, and they were just kind of allowed to just run wild and, uh, you know, be the, be the lawman. Be the lawman. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and so if you see a lot of Westerns, you'll, you'll have like this picture of like this lawman uh, saying like things like, I'm the lawman. You know, or things, you know, things of that nature. Huh? I'm the law. That's a great Can you song say like by Anthrax. Huh? Oh. Yo soy la. Like yo soy la ley. No, like Batman. Oh, like Batman. Batman? 
That is Batman, but he was born in Culiacán. It's Culiacán Batman. No, but no, but that attitude of operating under impunity still exists in a lot of law enforcement mentality today. Yeah, I and this is completely anecdotal, but I'm sure there's some research, and I haven't really looked into this. But the I have met some people who are in law enforcement who I personally know, and I even consider some friends. Who will say things like, the ends justify the means. I know I'm the good guy. Sure, I'll have to break a few rules here and there. I'll have to cut some corners. But in the end, my job is to catch the bad guy. And I got to do what I got to do to get there. And so that attitude really terrifies me. Because there have been times where people get executed who didn't do anything wrong. Um, but like there was this DA out in, out in Florida who... Ended up, ended up executing, executing like, I don't know, like 15, 15 people who later were found out to, to have, be like be innocent. innocent. Um, um, and then and when they, they were interviewing him and they're like, well, how do you feel about, about it now? now? Like now that, you know, you found out that these people actually didn't do anything. His response was like, well, better one, how did he phrase it? Better one innocent man die than a thousand guilty people go free. So he felt no remorse at the fact that there was about 15 to 20 people that he executed who had done nothing. Or, or, or didn't, or didn't break, them. break them all. Um, and so, and so, so, so that, that attitude, attitude kind of permeates a lot of law enforcement. Maybe, maybe not so much now because there's a lot of millennials entering law enforcement. Right. And so they're, so all, they're all about chai lattes and stuff like that. Cool haircuts. Coffee and tonic. Yeah, that's right. But a lot of the old guard and even some of the some of the younger guys too. I mean, there was this one guy who was my age who feels who feels this way. Um, who, um, believes who believes that, that if, if he has he to has beat the crap, crap out of somebody to get a confession, get a confession or, to, or, to, or to, you know, get, get the guy or get the bad guy, guy right. that he's going to do it. And, and he'll, he'll violate all your civil rights if it means that I get to catch that bad guy. And I'm just like, this attitude. How is that okay? I know this attitude. It's not as bad as Hitler. And that attitude comes from that. Like, like I'm the law. Now that I have this badge in the gun, like I'm like the embodiment of the law. As a, As matter, a matter of fact, fact cops, cops, I don't know if you guys saw cops, cops, but like, like in the, in the 90s, 90s and some, even, even into the early 2000s, 2000s the, intro the intro said, this is a show that follows the men and women of the law. law. Right. Yeah. But they had to change that. They changed it to the men and women of law enforcement because that's what it is. When you're a police officer, you're just a law enforcement officer or not the law. But try convincing some police officers that they're not the law. Especially in the valley. Especially in the valley when six cruisers pull up because you have a broken taillight. Oh, is that what happened to you? Yeah. I told you, didn't I? Didn't I tell you? Did you? Yeah, I had. I had a broken taillight and six. I wasn't paying attention. Yeah, I had a broken taillight and six cruisers surrounded my truck. You know what? I did. I, th- I think I remember this. Yeah. They pulled guns on you. Yeah. Uh, they had their gun. Uh, their hands on their gun. Yeah, ready to go. What, uh, what agency was it? It was McAllen PD. Yeah. Stuck my hands out the window. I was like, I was like, it's in my Amazon cart. By the way, we support the local. It's in my Amazon cart. Well, so what's what's interesting about this is so I got pulled over because I knew it was the taillight. I knew it was gonna be the taillight. But regardless, like a tape over it. I did. I had tape over it, but it was like just flapping in the wind. And and so I. But that's like the valley. Like every other car is like super Exactly. And so. So they did that, and it was like six cruisers. Now, what was so interesting about that was a week later, Eric and I were headed towards Austin. We were going to, to go see uh, Thrice and Me Without You, right? And so we went to Austin, and I got pulled over again by state troopers. And uh, they were telling me the same thing about another taillight I didn't even know. Anyway. And so the state trooper comes up, and he says, hey, I just wanted to let you know uh, the taillight on your upper on the upper part of your windshield is out. Make sure you replace it. And I was like, oh, oh, thanks. He goes, by the way, are you guys barbers? And uh, Eric and I looked at one another, and we said, no, no, we're not, we're not barbers. He's like, oh, man, I thought you guys were barbers because our mustaches were curled. And, uh, and so it was a bet that him and his partner had. And then we just start goofing off with the state troopers, and then they left. But a, but a week prior, prior I, was I was surrounded by McAllen PD. Six officers, no, six, no, six cruisers. cruisers. Six yeah, cruisers. Yeah, not police officers. Yeah, it was it was the cars and the SUVs. With hands on gun. With hands on gun. Wow. The difference. The difference. Well, well it, and that's actually a, a different uh, kind of topic that you could touch on, like the way different agencies kind of enforce the law. 
Um, there's so a, it's you as a, a, like you were on that road. Like every agency is allowed to enforce the law as they see, pl- like right. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, well, the, this is, this why, is why. You know, you this know, is. This I'm going to say something super controversial. controversial. No, this, this is. Kind of, it's the chair. <laughs> it's the uh, chair. I, I don't I think don't in think municipal police. I don't believe in. I, okay. because, oh, you tell me that. Yeah, because, because municipal. That controversial? Yeah, well, because, well, because there's some people, people who believe that, like, you know, that it's their the community should police itself. And in and theory, in that theory, sounds fantastic, but right. that never that happens, happens because, because take take for example, example uh, would you run, run into, into the same, same problem? problem? Well, well let me, like so, for example, like take the example of Detroit. Like it's it's a it's a very African American dense community, and the vast majority of the police department is white. So is, so is that, that really the community, community policing the community? You see what I'm saying? True. Um, and the same thing with like McAllen, like McAllen PD. A lot of those guys aren't from McAllen. So 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 the idea on paper sounds nice. Oh, it's the community policing itself. I don't know if I'd want a bunch of Mexican Americans policing. I'm gonna I'm gonna stay away from that. I'm gonna. I'm just saying. I'm gonna throw you I'm just saying what y'all are afraid to say. If you think about valley culture, and then it's like, oh yeah, let the let the Mexican Americans let the Mexicans police themselves. I don't know. There's that. There's that. There's that meme. There's that meme that has a. It says like people in the United States. Police in the United States are some of the most corrupt police in the entire world. And it has an individual kind of looking away, showing that that's the Mexican police. Oh, are you serious? I thought that was hilarious. That's too funny. Anyway, I'm just saying what y'all are too afraid to say. Total depravity. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah, that would. That would oh man, that, that would totally come out. Not just because it's a bunch of Mexicans, but because it's a bunch of Mexicans. <laughs> well, anyway, I, don't, I can say that I don't I'm endorse any of the point of views here in this podcast. But you laughed. <laughs> but you laughed. Therefore, by association. It's true. You did laugh. Well. <laughs> <laughs> well, you just live in Edinburgh, just so that. That. there's a difference. Well, I mean, well, Edinburgh, I mean, Edinburgh police, police tends to kind of be... Oh, so um, you too, huh? Well, like, well, like I, I said, said, we support <laughs> the police. We support our local <laughs> police. Uh, please, please hey, don't, we uh, love our police officers. Please don't pull us over. Yeah, man. They're, 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 no, there's some good people. Well, I mean, back on the topic of like community policing or municipal policing. Sure, sure. The problem, the problem with that, with that is, is that a lot of times, times these uh, small, small towns, towns or, or even, even like mid-sized cities, cities like McAllen, policing for profit is a problem. And so, and so that's why you had a very different experience with the state police versus the uh, you know McAllen PD. Because with municipal policing, they have to enforce uh, city codes and city ordinances. Um, and I find that very disturbing that a person with a gun gets to enforce the law of like you're not allowed to spit on the side and then some guy with a gun comes up to you says hey stop right there because you broke this law you know and and i and and you and i kind of talked a little bit about this how i think their municipalities should have like code enforcement um agencies that are unarmed officers that look for code violations municipal violations or ordinance ordinance violations and just write a fine because a lot of those things are fine um like the penalty, like the penalty would be, would be fine, fine, right? Like how do you how do you reconcile that in, in municipalities that do have code enforcement? So, for instance, McAllen has a code enforcement department. They need to expand it, and they right. need to, and they need to get so so. I guess not. Now that we're talking about, so now that we're talking about, well, I feel like they use it, but they use like so. Especially when I was working with the city, code enforcement was they serve like um like for instance, if you if your lawn is uncared for, uh, you know, it hasn't been cut, you'll get fined by the city, and code enforcement is the one that enforces that code. If you are watering on days that you're not supposed to, code enforcement fines you. Uh, have you seen those guys that uh, work for uh, meat markets, and they have the, the freezers in the back of their truck, and they go selling steaks and all that? If they go selling on city property, code enforcement takes away their truck, takes away the meat, and takes away their permit. And that, and that all of that is yeah, all of that is non non police, like non police. Yeah. Uh, and so, and so and that's a different fight, right? Like, right. It's a, but that's a local fight, right? Right. Like if the city, yeah, in this context, then then yeah. you know, like code enforcement is there, like well, you know, whether it's right or wrong, that's a topic of a different conversation. But right. but in the grander scheme of things, I think it's okay for someone who's unarmed to tell someone who's selling meat off the back of their truck, like, hey, don't do that, or I'm gonna write you a fine. Right. 
a city a has its own rights, it has its own ordinances, and its own, ordinance, sure, and sure, its own sure. bylaws. The problem then becomes is when you have guys with guns, right. with tasers, with deadly that can that are authorized to use deadly force to then enforce these things because what you do is that you inadvertently create a situation where everybody's tense from the beginning, mm-hmm. right? Because you got a guy who's coming at you with a gun, asking you questions. You know, you know, maybe, maybe he, had he had a suspicion that you committed a violation of the city ordinance or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then but it then doesn't it stop there. there. Right. Hey, Andy, where, where, where do you live? Where are you going? Are you going? Your mom's Give me your ID. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> um, and so then, where are you going? Your mom's? And so, and so <laughs> there's been there's times, times where, where uh, something has... <laughs> mental health. Sorry. I'm oh, sorry. Continue. Sorry, Izzy. Bro, I was on a roll here. It was good. It was really good. You're doing great. I'm loving it. Um, so, so, where was it? <laughs> Basically, all that, because you really threw me off my train of thought here. But all that being said is that I think a lot of the problems with community policing, like the way um, African Americans are being treated by police, can be resolved if it simply ends in a fine. Like, when I know that whoever's approaching me and questioning me about a potential violation doesn't have a gun, then if I know that I'm going to be safe, then maybe I'll engage differently than someone who's fully armed. And then not just that, like your situation where there were six cruisers that surrounded you, and then in the end it was probably because of your taillight. And so what is the deal with that? You see what I'm saying? And so then a lot of times when police respond, they respond like a gang, you know? And so when... And then, and then I just I find just it find comical, comical whenever, whenever a police officer, officer after, after they've approached, they've approached you, you aggressively and, and obviously they're, they're, they're armed and they're barking orders at you, and then, and then when you get all hot and bothered about it, the next thing they say, hey, can you please calm down? What the heck is that? You know what I'm saying? So anyway, but to the larger scheme of police reform, if we're kind of delve into that topic, I like things like like traffic violations or even pulling people over I think that should be completely code enforcement and it shouldn't be somebody who's armed to pull people over so here's a pushback what if they're armed well here's the thing if if it'll change the attitude of people because if you know that the person who's pulling you over has a power to kill you or arrest you and you're up to no good then your likelihood of trying to get away or killing that person is going to go up but if it's somebody who's armed and a meter mate is pulling you over and you and know you it's know a meter made pulling you over, and I'm using that, you know, sure. with all due respect. I did say right, like, like, in, like in Mexico, they have the transitos, right? Yeah. Like they, yeah, yeah so yeah. their only job is to pull people over, right? Right. And they don't have, they're unarmed, and they're they're just there to write tickets. If you know that the person, the worst they can do to you is write you a ticket. I doubt whoever's armed is going to want to shoot them. You know what I'm saying? It's definitely a psychological, mental thing. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Because if you're up to no good, and you know you have 100 pounds of weed in your trunk. And the, and person, the person has the authority, has the authority to be like, "Hey, get out of your car! I'm gonna search you." Then the likelihood of you reacting to that is, like, especially if you're up to, if you're already up to no good and have nothing to lose, then I think that's part of the problem. Now, people say, "Well, we need to get drugs off the street." Well, taking those hundred pounds off of that one guy's car is not gonna do anything to solve the war on drugs. I can tell you that right now. Nope. So. That even, even in that, in that moment, moment, that, that little, little bit is not gonna make a difference. So I think save everybody's life. I mean, I mean, the, the war on drugs, that's a whole different topic. topic. Again, again, we're touching we're on many... Right. You want to end the war on drugs? I think... But I, but, I, but, I, yeah, well, I think, but I think in addition to that, I think that's what makes it complex. That's, that was good, Izzy. Yeah, I, I would agree. And I think... And I think, and I would say, that's. I think that's what makes it complex. Like, in the, in the sense of, like, man, that's a totally different subject. We've said that about a couple of things, right? And I think... Even though a lot of those uh, topics have their own discussion, their own opinion, their own their own areas where they need to reform, I think that's the part where, for the very least, me personally, where all I begin, not all I begin, but where I just begin to think, man, this is such a complex system. You know what I mean? The fact that you are able to have your own discussion. The war on drugs, like the amount of reform and things that would need to change there. What do we need to let? What do we need to let go? What don't we need to let go? What do we need to legalize? What shouldn't we legalize? Um, off of a conversation regarding code enforcement, and I think that's where I start to think like the whole system is. Maybe not the whole system, but the but the structure of the system tends to be complex. I will say this because I don't want people to misconstrue what I'm saying. I do believe that there should be a law enforcement apparatus. I do yeah, believe that right. there need to be armed, armed people, people that, because there's some there's bad some actors out there that yeah. that will yeah. harm the community and are and are up to no good. Yeah. And I do and believe that you do need people who are armed, who are legally authorized to use force to, to uh, 
apprehend and arrest people. I do believe that we need a law enforcement apparatus. Where I where I think it is overused or overdone is in every is in every situation. The Dallas police uh, chief. Uh, uh, short, short after, after you know, you know about a couple weeks after the George Floyd thing happened, happened. he came he out came and said, uh, or was it she? Oh man, I can't remember. It was a police chief. Man, I, I'm, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get crucified for this. It was the police chief. I shouldn't have brought up gender. They said that um, part of the pro- part of the problem of why police interactions tend to be hostile is because whenever anything happens. They send the police, right? Noise is too loud. The police goes out. Somebody screaming, they heard somebody fall, or the fire fireworks went out in the middle of the street. Who do you call? You call the police. And so I think those are situations where, like, if you reform police departments to have a larger code enforcement presence and a larger, uh, like, even have social workers that work within the police department. I think whenever there's a situation where, like, hey, I, I think I heard some screaming. Um, I think in that situation. You know, maybe, you know, maybe send, out send out someone, someone to initially investigate, investigate that's unarmed. unarmed. And again, and again part, of, part, of, part of like the psychological, psychological thing that happens in people's minds, minds even if it is a situation where someone is actually being harmed, harmed the, per- the, the perpetrator, perpetrator is going to be less likely to harm the enforcer if they know that the worst that can happen is they're like they're unarmed. You know, you see what I'm saying? And so the person who initially comes and assesses the situation then says like, oh, this is serious. We need more enforcement right. then, then you would call, you would call the, the armed, armed guys, guys. Right. Um, and, um, so and so I believe in a system of policing where the armed guys, guys only show up after, after an investigation, investigation. Right. Right. So, so I believe I in investigative policing where you in, uh, uh, you expand, expand the apparatus, the apparatus of, of surveillance investigations follow throughs um, because if you look at the vast majority of police there's just one police department I'm going to mention the city but, I, but that I, I personally, personally know, know that the vast, the vast majority, majority of their employees are uniformed police, police officers, officers and they only have three detectives for an entire city. Wow. So, so that I think that's also part of the problem. And so I think if we transition away from patrolling and have the code enforcement guys and, and, and other people kind of responding to things, um, I think the relationship between the government and its uh, community will improve because they know that the people who are initially responding aren't going to kill them, kill them right, like right, aren't, aren't going to kill somebody on the spot, on the spot. Yeah. and then of and course, course you'll get the you'll pushback get the it's like well what if it's a deranged, deranged lunatic? lunatic and i'm like well, well he's obviously, obviously having a mental health, health issue i think you need a social worker not somebody with a gun right see what i'm saying yeah so uh i don't again my thoughts my opinions uh disclaimer um nothing is endorsed in the show but if you want i can invite you over for some tacos and we can for some deeper conversation but i will say this i will say this before we continue and i'm sorry i will say this um and I was telling this to Serge uh, when we were talking about doing this podcast. Everything I believe, um, I simply believe because I've been convinced of it. So there's only one thing that I know. Right? I can tell you, I don't know anything. There's only one thing that I know. I know that there is a God. I know that we are depraved and we are sinful and that we have fallen short. And I know that this God has loved us so much that he made a way for us to get to heaven. And that is the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Other than that, I know nothing. Yeah. Everything that, was that I'm six s- things, not one. Yeah, it was, it was, I know there's one, one big. Well, it was the gospel. <laughs> <laughs> I know the gospel. There you go. Yeah. Okay. Um, but other, other than that, that everything else that I believe, I say it with a grain of salt because I know that I can be wrong. Right. Yeah. And so, um, I, that's why conversations like these are important because somebody might have a better idea. But the, but one, the thing one thing that most of us can agree on, not everybody, obviously the elites and the people that are taking advantage of the current system are going to disagree with this. Right. But what most of us can agree on is that the current system is not working for the vast majority of Americans. Right. And if anything, it is oppressing and ending the lives of other groups of Americans. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, police reform. No, I, I agree fully. I think, um, I think change definitely needs to happen. Reform definitely needs to happen. And you had mentioned, Marco, like the complexity of it. A hundred percent, it's going to be complex. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. But in the, again, I go back to the words of Rage Against the Machine. What better place in here? What better time than now? You know, like things change when you move things around. Yeah, yeah. And so if we don't have these conversations, even if they are with a grain of salt, like nothing is going to, nothing's going to change. It's going to continue to happen. It's going to stay the same. And we're going to be having the same conversation 30 years from now. You know, like we are having the same conversation they had 20 years ago, that they had 40 years ago, that they had 60 years ago, that they had 80 years ago. Right. Like this is that same conversation. And and why? That's the issue. Like, why are we still having the same conversation? We're like 
hanging out, having a normal conversation, but it's the same one. It's the same one because change hasn't happened. I will say there's no changes happening. And that was part of one of the things that that we were were going to touch on. To it. uh, Touch it. The difference between the protests that are happening right now versus the protests that that had happened like in the 1960s and even like in the 90s and in the 80s is that this is now the popular uh, opinion. Right. Yes. Those protests were against the grain. Like back, back then, then, a protester, a protester that's why like, like riots, riots would happen. happen. Yeah. And, and, and you know, we can know, talk about, about the justification, justification of riots, riots and, and what have you, but there was there a true was frustration because they knew they, they were up against the machine. machine. Right. And, right. That, and that, machine that machine would just crush and destroy all dissenting voices. But now, I think the difference is that there's a lot more people that are more conscious and are more awake of what's happening. Now, they disagree on the. Execution, execution of methodology. Change. They yeah. disagree yeah. in the right in the methodology and things like that. But I think, but I think the vast majority, majority now, or I shouldn't say the vast majority, but there's a, there's a huge number of people, and I've, and I've heard people who are very, very, very conservative, conservative and very, very, very liberal, liberal say the same thing. thing. Something needs to change. Right. I I would I would 100% say the vast majority, like or maybe not the vast majority, but the majority of people. More than 50%. 100%. Right. Yeah. <laughs> See what I did. <laughs> uh, but Mark and I were talking about how like. Uh, even within the like the the church system, like when SBC came out with that that statement, I was floored. Mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Like they're they're going against the grain right now. Like the church hadn't spoken up about it, you know, for a long time, I, and here they are, like now speaking up against it, and like honestly getting a lot of crap for it too by other you know churches As and stuff. Should. Uh, <laughs> but um, there is definitely a change happening, and that that um, that's what gives me hope. Because I was talking to Izzy, I was talking to Marco, and I was telling him that like one of my the issues that I'm having is that like I get angry really quickly about this kind of stuff, um, and so uh, like he was pushing me to like think about it a lot more and understanding that that at the end of the day, there's still hope. Right, and so I have to focus on that hope, and so, like, people in America, churches, both left and right, are saying the same thing, and and that is hopeful, and that is something that should be celebrated, um, and so I need to personally focus on that a lot more for sure, um, and so going back to where we're talking about like the complexity of it changing, um. That's gonna. It's gonna be complex. It's gonna be hard, but it's also gonna require, I think, more money. Um, so part of like the defund the police thing, right? It's like yes. allocating money that would otherwise yes. go to enforcement. That's what I was about to say. To reform. Yeah. So it's 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 the allocation of the monies for reform. Like, cause these officers, man, like we know officers, like they go through so much crap, like. I don't doubt these dudes have PTSD, you yeah, know? Yeah, like, it's a tough job. It's a, it's tough, a tough job. job. And, and very, I think because it is a tough job, people need to understand that few people need to be able to get in. So like, like to be a part of that, it's super easy to become a cop. Uh, like I think I was listening to, it was Joe Rogan, um, where he was, what was that? The, the, the dude, the Ronnie Coleman. The, Coleman? Yes. Coleman. He was a cop too. He's like, back in my day, you had to have, like, a four-year degree. Like, now you don't need that. Yeah. You know, like, it's, like, the... <laughs> Mark, there's, there's, there's hope for his uh, dropouts. Yeah, man. <laughs> Ministry doesn't work <laughs> out. <laughs> let's go let's become a cop. Become a cop. Uh, you know, and, like, how, uh, like, it, they'll take anybody, and you graduate really quickly. And have a good bench. You have a... Yeah. Some, <laughs> He's got some, a bench. Some police, some police academies, academies as few as three, three months. months. Three months. Three months. Three months. I can do it. That's not a lot. Three months. I can do it. That's like Matt Chandler saying seven, seven miles. Seven miles. Seven miles. Three months to become a cop. And to carry days. a gun and enforce the law. In 90 days, I can become then, the law. And then a lot of times, uh, a lot of times after after these guys, a lot of times after these guys graduate from the, the, the academy, their training officer, like their field training officer will say, okay, everything you learned in the academy, forget about that. 
because in the academy, that's where they teach him like about civil rights and how to properly arrest yeah. someone. Um, but it's, it's different yeah, out in the, street. the streets. This is how it is. Yeah, yeah. And I get it. It's, sure. it's a tough job. Yeah. But you signed up for it. You know what I'm saying? Like nobody, nobody told you to be a cop. Yes. Um, and so, and one of the craziest things that I saw was that one of the most basic police operating procedures is to be able to Miranda read somebody their Miranda rights. Right. I saw a cop who said he was 25 years in the force pull out a freaking card oh and was reading off of it the Miranda rights. Can you? Because he still didn't have, he didn't have a Miranda because he doesn't care. Because he doesn't That's care. That's the thing. They don't care about rights. Because they don't care about yeah, rights. They're the law. So, you know, I, if you properly allocate the funds, like you are able to pick and choose who is capable of doing this job properly. Like the Navy SEALs don't just take anybody, Mm-mm. you know? Like they go through a massive amount of torture. It would take you though. Oh, well, it's called 100%. Buds. You got to go through buds first. What is it called? Buds. Buds. Basic underwater like demolition training. What is it? Is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah. Basic underwater, underwater demolition, demolition training. Yeah. Yeah. Can't remember what that stands for, but yeah. Stress. 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 <laughs> <laughs> read a book. Read a book, guys. <laughs> um, so three months. I go back to that. That's insanity. Like these dudes. Man, like it's a hard job. They see crazy things. And for them to be able to do this in three months, that's ridiculous. Hmm. It's wrong. I'm going to say it right now. Yeah, they, they definitely need more training. I think. Oh, yeah. So, so, I, think so I think this is this is sort of my, my theory on police reform. And I, I feel like, like they should. So, so well, I'll, say I'll say this. In Mexico City, if you want to be a police officer within Mexico City, you have to you go have to through go what's through essentially a, a um, like an like associate's degree. degree. Right, right. So it's so a two-year two program, program where you go there by, go semester, by semester and it's and unpaid. It's unpaid. I, mean, I don't I think, think it should be unpaid, unpaid here in the U.S., right? If we can afford to pay for training, I think we should. Right. And so, but there's, like in Mexico City, they you have to go through what's essentially an associate's degree program where you have to learn about civil rights, you have to learn about techniques, like non-lethal techniques. Because three to six months, even like the academies that are like six to nine months long, like, like, I don't think I don't that's think enough time to time really teach somebody, somebody non-lethal techniques of takedown. Take that's why that's when why somebody who's unarmed, unarmed it, 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 it annoys me whenever I see a police officer take out the weapon to someone who's clearly unarmed. You know? yeah. and, and so I think the appropriate thing to do would be to use jujitsu or some other. Marco disagrees. I'm gonna take it to the ground. I'll fight you. Marco's just gonna pick you up and throw you. Well, mind you, Marco is massive. I don't want to go to the. I don't want to take a guy to the can. Yeah. Streets all hot. Gravel. It's gonna hurt my knees. You would not make. You would not make a good police And then you're wearing. You just let him get away. You're like. This is a really good example. You're wearing those pants, pants, and I gotta gotta pass pass your guard. guard. (laughs) It's not gonna. No, No, you're gonna be the. I agree 100%. Jujitsu. I was. I say judo because if they like judo or jujitsu, use your hips. Yeah, judo or jujitsu, any of those. But I'm saying here is not. I have to bring you. No, you don't. Hey, get on top of me, criminal. Get on top of me so I can triangle hold you. And then my belt's gonna be in the way. They still carry batons. Sometimes. Sometimes. See? See? Yeah, but it's yeah, a but retractable. It's a but it's a retractable little stick. They're good. They're good. Dude, then I got I magazines on my utility belt. I, I, I think they need to be able to handle out. people that don't have weapons. Uh, we saw that that video that the PD and mission. Like, what was that all about? Like, oh my gosh, we're a, a, a guy in a, a mission PD guy. This is life. This is life PD, right? Yeah. Put his his knee on the dude's neck. I'm like, you just saw the George Floyd thing. Like, you're you're not supposed to do that. And under under cop law, like, that's not, it's an illegal thing right, to do. Yeah. Uh, it, it, you can't do that. Right. Under it's cop like, policy, like yeah. It's, it's, you're, it's illegal for you to do that. You are not allowed to put your knee on the dude's neck. Like, Or just learn, bo- learn, learn how to box. Learn, dude. Learn how to box. Judo, jujitsu, taekwondo, whatever. That jab, you're just keeping that distance. I haven't, I haven't drawn my my service weapon. I haven't had a pull. I'm just keeping my distance. Because in judo or jujitsu, I'm gonna have to bring you into me. I don't wanna do that. I don't wanna ruin my uniform. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> so. Training. training. I agree with you. What else? Yeah. So, yeah, so definitely, definitely training. training. Definitely, <laughs> definitely much, much, much more. Yeah. Uh, 
uh, de-escalation uh, tactics. Yeah. And it's something yeah, that like is boxing. overlooked. Or like boxing. Or like boxing. Right. That, that talk about, talk about the pervasiveness of de-escalation in boxing. Right. <laughs> I mean, if you show them your fist, they're either going to de-escalate or not. You know, so, right. So it's either like, all right, I'm chilling. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. No, and de-escalation ta- tactics because there, there is a, there's a certain person that is attracted to policing. Um, it's either someone who was bullied or someone who is a bully. Um, and so the one who was bullied, the one who was bullied, those are the most dangerous. And here's why. Because... They, they perceive disrespect, disrespect as like as a personal, personal attack. attack. Sure. So yeah, whenever so you, so whenever a police officer walks up, is like, "Hey, I'm hey, the I'm police. police. You got to do, do what I say." And someone's like, like, "Nah." Like, why, like, why are, are you pulling me over? You know. And if they start questioning the authority and stuff, they get riled up. And so then all these emotions of being bullied and all these emotions of like being disrespected in school, not being respected by his own wife, all these things just kind of surface and. Tragic, no. you know, yeah. um, and so, so millennials. Yeah, millennials. Yeah, I gotta tell you, no, but uh, <laughs> that's why. That's why I believe that de-escalation needs to really be firmed because yeah. a lot of these guys will escalate things. Because, because so, I'll tell you what. I have uh, a family member who's in law enforcement. I'm not gonna mention any names, but he confessed to me that he intentionally tries to agitate a suspect because he wants to take them down. Mm. Like if somebody like questions him or he pulls him over and the guy's just like being belligerent or being obnoxious and just, you know, whatever, he wants to teach that guy a lesson. So he will intentionally attempt to escalate things and get the person to either square up or do something threatening that would give him the excuse to basically green light to throw him on the ground and just... Pommel, well, right? Well, and this is somebody, somebody locally here in the valley. valley. Not going to mention what agency he works for. Maybe I'll say it later. Yeah, maybe I'll say it later. <laughs> no, but, um, no, but um, so, so I personally, I personally again, anecdotal, anecdotal, but I personally, but I personally know, people know people who are in law enforcement who will say things like that. And I think when you make de-escalation a policy, right? not only do you train on it, but you have to make it a policy and say, we're going to review, review your, your actions. actions. If you made no you made attempt, no attempt to, de-escalate, to de-escalate, you're getting disciplined right. or fired. Because, because there, are there are some dudes, dudes that are in it because they feel a sense of authority. authority. Right. And if that authority, that authority gets questioned, questioned well, I got to teach you this. Right. And so, again, training, de-escalation, but also change internal policy where if it is clear that civil rights are being violated, then I'm not saying like annul the arrest because it might be a legitimate arrest. But, but that, that's the, not the problem. The problem, the problem, is, the problem is the way they're, they're you know, affecting you know, that arrest and affecting the way they're treating people. Because maybe, maybe they were justified in attempting to arrest George Floyd. Maybe they were. Right? We'll never know now because it's never going to go to a court because they freaking killed him. But but they violated pretty much every single one of his human rights. Getting getting to it. You see what I'm saying? And so if we work on de-escalation, more training, and... Just an, just an, just an just overall, overall so, so for example, like the Portland Police, police Department, department uh, they're uh, one of the few police departments that don't polygraph. Because, because what, you know, I guess we can get into, get into the polygraph and all that and, and its downsides, but one of the things that has, and there's some literature on this, that polygraphs don't catch are people who are sociopaths or psychopaths because they are guiltless. I mean, they can lie to you and to them it's the truth, right? And so that's where a polygraph severely fails in screening, you know, sociopaths. So, so in the Portland Police Department, Department, what they do now is they do, they do an, an in-depth psychological and psychiatric, psychiatric evaluation. evaluation. And a part and of that, they ask they you ask questions, questions, tell me about your background. Your background. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, how do you how feel, do you feel about, about this community? This community? Have you ever have interacted interact with somebody from this community, community whether they're Asian, African-American, or Hispanic? And so they ask you questions about how you interact with these folks. And I've seen some of those questions, and the way they ask, especially when you're in a situation where, like, You've been sitting there for a couple hours, and then there's the psychiatrist just like prodding at your brain. Uh, the truth will eventually come out, and then if you feel a certain way about a certain group of people, boom, disqualified. And I think, and I think that that is a positive step in the right direction. Yeah, I think it should be a part of like a prerequisite because right now the Portland Police does it at the very end, and I can and I know why they do it at the end because it's probably a super expensive thing to do to you know pass people through a psychiatric evaluation. But if we can find a way to fund something like that, where like we psychiatrically and psychologically evaluate. Police officers, police officers before they're, before they're even allowed, allowed to go to the, to the academy, academy 
then you know you're training good people. Because you could be training somebody throughout the entire time, and then at the very end, you realize, like, oh, this guy's probably a mass murderer. Right. It seems like a waste of money at that point, you know? Like, it's, again, going back to the proper allocation of monies, it's really, I think, the the best way to put that. I mean, I don't know. We're, we're coming up here pretty close to 45, so... Yeah. Any last comments, Donald last Trump, thoughts? Yeah. <laughs> huh? 45, Who's that? <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, who's, so... Who's what that I, girl? What, what I want... Who is she? <laughs> I don't know her. I don't know her. <laughs> um, in light of that... Um, Buddha Tulsi Gabbard. Amen. Oh, is that oh, that? That's that Hawaiian... That's the one you told me about. Yeah, it's disrespectful. Careful. Careful. It's the Hawaiian congresswoman. There you go. Vet. So, let, so we've talked about a lot, I think, from even like 50 to 100,000 foot view. So, so let's narrow it down for the next 15 minutes. Maybe for the next 10 minutes. Let's narrow it down to, to specifically here, here in the Valley. So we were talking earlier before we started the podcast. Um, or before we started recording about um, in, I mean, in the wake of the murder of George Floyd, how much awareness it has brought. It's brought a lot. It has brought a great deal of awareness. And we've talked a little bit about that. There's change happening. More people are more aware. They're not necessarily culturally. It's not going against the grain. More people are agreeing and coming out and saying things need to change. So there's awareness. But we've also seen hostility. And hostility kind of kills some of that awareness. Um and uh, so I don't, I don't know if we've talked about, talked about that too much, much, but we can talk a little bit about that. But in addition to awareness and hostility, um, I also wanted to briefly touch on apathy as it pertains to our context here in the Rio Grande Valley and particularly within um, uh, Mexican-American slash Hispanic culture. And so could you give insight from what you've seen, Izzy, just in light of like, man, we see a great deal of awareness. How has the hostility that we have also seen killed some of that awareness? And then, and then bring it bring down, it down, down to, to, to our, our context, context and culture. Uh, when it comes when to it awareness and hostility, hostility, man, that might not necessarily, necessarily be something we wrestle with. It's more apathetic parts. Yeah, so, yeah, I, so have I have a... a I, used to, I, used to, I, used to, I used to be of the position, of the position that, that the way you the kill way you a movement, movement is by exposing its flaws. flaws. But, I, but think I think this one's a little different because it's not necessarily the flaws that turn people turn off, people it's the off. truth it's the that turns people off. Mm-hmm. It's because there's some people that don't want to hear the ugly truth, that there is a problem in America, and that there are people being slaughtered for no other reason than the color of their skin. Um, and so, when you see, like, the hostilities, like, when it, when you see someone being shouted down because they're wearing, like, a Make America Great Again hat or, you know, things like that, this is pain manifested. And so, I do believe that... To some, to some people, people they, see they see that and they're, they're like, like oh, I don't want to be associated, be associated with those violent people. people. You know, even, you know, Trump called Trump them thugs. Called thugs. Right. 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 Um, but I think that we live in a time where there are more people who are more aware that a lot of this quote unquote violence is just an expression of an enormous amount of pain that many people have been holding on to for a long time. Right. Because there was a time where if you were African-American and you spoke out, they were like, oh, you're a black supremacist, or oh, you know, you're this, or oh, you're that. And they would just completely dismiss it. Uh, but because of all that frustration and all that pain that was being held in, that's why you see the hustle. You see people who are finally being heard, right? Somebody like, like you know, you got CNN and, and some of these other people actually giving these people voice now, and they're like, I'm going to make sure you hear me, right? And that's where a lot of the hostility or perceived hostility comes from, because they want to make sure that these are my grievances, and I want you to know what they're right, right? right? Uh, and so some people, right, the cookie-cutter middle class, uh, who would otherwise be on board, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's, it, you know, police brutality is bad, uh, but that person scares me because they're saying scary things, right? Right. And so I think we as a country need to really snap out of it, it's particularly, you know, and even though, like, the sentiment is going in that, that direction, I feel like a lot of people who would otherwise be allies... Are afraid, are afraid of that, of that because, because what they want to see, see is they want to see, see harmony. harmony. They want to see like, hey, I know hey, we I were know sinned we were against, against, but, you know, you know I forgive, I forgive this, person, this person and let's move, let's on, move together. on together. But, but you know, you're you know, just, again, we're going back to the same thing where you're sweeping everything under the rug and what about the sins that were committed? Like, there was never truly an apology. There was never truly something that would say, you know what, now you recognize what you did to me. 
okay, let's okay, work let's towards moving on. on. That right. hasn't right. happened. Right. And there so hasn't been that confession. Right. Exactly. exactly. And so that's why there's the perceived hostility or these, you know, acts of aggression, if you will, that are just an expression of pain and frustration, of years of silence and years of constantly being told. You know, you know, just kind of keep it to yourself. Like, right. sure, yeah, you know, we have a racist past. Sure, you know, your ancestors were slaves. But, you know, that doesn't really happen anymore. So just kind of keep it to yourself. And so when you tell somebody that for so long, and then when you finally give them a voice, they're going to they're gonna make sure you hear them. So, so that's what I'll say on that. But uh, as far as, like, our community, the, uh, particularly the Mexican-American community, because that is, that is, that is what uh, dominates the valley. There tends to be almost a... To a fault, to a, fault. A, a too much too respect, respect for law enforcement. enforcement. To a fault, to a fault. Okay. Right. and that and that comes, and that comes from, from Mexican, Mexican culture. culture. I'll, I'll, although I will <coughs> say, in Mexico, in Mexico things have changed, changed right? Yes. Now yeah. they know yeah. that they know cops that are cops super corrupt and things like that. Things like that. But, prior but prior to the modern, modern drug war, drug war if you were in Mexico and there was police officers that were beating the snot out of somebody in the middle of the street in Mexico. The reaction, the reaction that people, that people would, would say, say or things that people, people would say, say is like, like, se lo buscó. Yeah. Like, yeah. What did he what do? Did he do? He, must have, he must have he done, done something. something. Yeah. Yeah. They never they stopped to question and think, well, what if the police are wrong? wrong. That, was that was not in the vocabulary. In the vocabulary. Um, um, obviously, obviously, things have changed, changed now. Sure. But, but a lot of people who live here in the U.S. come from an ancestry of Mexicans that came to the U.S. prior to the shift in culture in Mexico. So they still hold on to a lot of those beliefs that law enforcement is... All good, all good, you know, they, yeah, can't, they, can't, they, can, they can do no wrong right now. Uh, and so going, so going back, back to um, sort of sort something of that Serge was going to, was kind of touching, touching on, is, is the, divide the divide between the two communities, communities African Americans and Hispanics. Yes. Yeah. Um, there's, there's this weird um, animosity between the two communities, but I can tell you that comes from the elites. That comes from people who want to remain in power, and so they promulgate these things, and you'll see it in TV shows, you'll see it in comedy skits, you'll see it in things that seem benign, seem benign but, but what they what do is that they, is that they further, further deepen the belief in people's yes. minds that's good that we're our community it's their community and it's almost it's like almost we're fighting, fighting each other for the scraps right to an extent i i would agree that's why i shouldn't say to an extent so i would say i would agree one of the areas in which i uh i don't want to say feel but one of the areas to which i've seen that and Feel like yeah, it rings like it true to what you're, what you're saying, saying is particularly concerning the murder of Vanessa Guillen. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my yes. gosh. So, I had so. my cousin and I went at it with that. Yeah. So that's so a, that's, a, that's another conversation. conversation. But, but in light of some of the things we were talking we were about, about, right? Like, right, like apathetic heart toward George Floyd. Man, I watched a video. Quick ramble of a of a mariachi group serenade her her vigil. I was just in tears the whole time. Yeah, dude. Anyway, anyway, whatever. whatever. And so, I say that because I feel like I was telling, I was talking to my wife, Rebecca, about this. Uh, anyway, going back to what you were saying, I see that portrayed um, in the, the 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 media that I'm seeing. And I'm not speaking specifically to CNN or Fox or any of that. Just just the media in terms of what is put out there concerning the the, the murder of Vanessa Guillen, like. There was this, there was one, this one uh, uh, Hispanic, Hispanic older gentleman, gentleman who was just ripping, ripping up Hispanics, Hispanics, getting so mad because so he was saying, like, we're not, we're not angry as we, as we ought to be. We're so, we're so many. many. We're so quiet. We're so um, because it's just not as loud. It's just not as loud as what happened nine, ten weeks ago with George Floyd. And um, I, can tell, I can tell you why. Yeah. So so there's, there's the, there was that. And then Rebecca was asking me yesterday, like, what do you think that is? And part of it, I think, is one, there's this deep, profound respect, ancestral respect for the law. And for military. Yeah, exactly. It's the military. It's a big thing. I think number two, in a sense, and I, this is completely experiential. I think oftentimes, and there's a third thing, so I'll be really quick. So the second thing would be experiential in the sense of, what I've seen from the Mexican-American community is oftentimes when it pertains to the concept, not the concept, but the, the, the work of injustice, Mexican-American community oftentimes is a lot more quieter and they'll say, we'll get them from within. Like they just, they're just going to work that system and exploit it from within. But you don't really hear anything about that. And then I think the third thing um, uh, with that is, much telling Rebecca, I said, I think part of the reason a lot of other Mexican Americans within the community are afraid to say anything, particularly in the in the, in the wake of the murder of Vanessa Guillen, is because um, 
I don't want I don't ice want and border patrol coming, coming to my house after I've spoken, spoken up. up. Word like that, that to to a, to, to that, that demographic, demographic that is also, that is also a, reality. a reality. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, sure. those are three. No, I, I, I agree I with you. Agree with um, the only thing that I would add is also there is this. I can tell you from personal experience. My my family. There's this belief that if a woman gets raped in Mexican culture. Or in, or in, or in some, some Hispanic cultures. Se lo busco. Se lo busco, right? What was she wearing? Who was she talking to? Why was she there? Like, it's yeah. always victim blaming, but it only happens with women. And this is something that us in the Hispanic community, we have to contend with, like machismo and things like that. Oh, yeah. And so I think, and I can tell you because when I spoke to this, this particular topic I was talking to with my parents, they, in many words, essentially said, well, what was she what doing, was she there? doing there? Mm-hmm. You know, you know. Instead of instead recognizing of that this poor girl was murdered, and not only and not that, only I think that, she was sexually assaulted. She was sexually assaulted, she was sexually assaulted uh, by her uh, CEO. Yeah. Um, um, I told her mom, mom about it, and from and what, what I understand, it was her friend, Krista Martinez, who was about to be the whistleblower. Yeah. And she has since been in an accident. Oh, in an accident. Oh, man. I could be wrong. That could be misinformation. But at the very least, yes. She, uh, Vanessa Guillen was sexually assaulted. So she was 20 years old, uh, stationed at Port Hood, sexually assaulted, told her mom about it. Um, and But I don't know if she had reported it yet to, to yes, her. No, she hadn't reported Okay. okay. She, she hadn't reported They found out after she went missing. Um, but yeah, so there's, uh, you know, going back to apathy. I mean, apathy tends to be like the, the, the modus operandi in certain communities, and particularly... Um, the Mexican-American, um, Mexican-American community, and I can American tell you from, from you know, you know personal, personal experience, experience and just, and just uh, uh, speaking, speaking with others, with others it, almost it almost seems like, like if, it happen if it doesn't happen to a celebrity, celebrity or if it doesn't, or if it doesn't happen to somebody important, important, it almost it doesn't matter, matter. Right? right? Um, right. Um, and it's just and a it's sad reality of our community. But that is a symptom, like the whole thing with the young lady, of a greater problem of just general appreciation for, for image bearers. Yeah. Yes. Like, yes. It's just a it's general, general appreciation, appreciation and it's, and it's, it's ironic because the Hispanic community tends to be heavily religious. religious. Yeah. yeah. But when it comes when to, it comes to the, the, the appreciation or the worth of human life, that tends to be something that is what is they're whatever, whatever about. And we, we talked about that briefly last, last week where I think, I think going back to like orthodoxy, orthopraxy, that's where there is I think a disconnect particularly within the Mexican American community and how religious we can be in the sense of uh, for, instance, for instance, the doctrine the of the Imago, Imago Dei, Day, right? right? Which is, which is uh, us uh, as image bearers, bearers, Genesis 2, Genesis 2 that we were created in the image and likeness. There, there is a separation in our orthopraxy in, in the sense of like, like, oh, yes, that's yes, in the Bible. In the Bible. But, but we need to do, we good. do good. We need to go to church. We need to confess our sins. We need to go to the confessional. You know what I mean? Like, there are these other... Confessional talk? Yeah. There are these other things, these other elements of our religion that are a lot louder than something like the doctrine of us as image bearers. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so I think that's a disconnect in, in orthodoxy and orthopraxy. And so I think that's where you get a lot of that apathy. And I think, for me, that was my conviction in George Floyd. In sense of like, oh, man, this is something I've definitely... Um, distance myself from right that's really good guys I really enjoyed the conversation uh, any last thoughts we wait I have one last out? question, last question. so, so uh, in, in like in a short, short couple, minutes, couple minutes what is what the deal, deal with us in this California, California accent? accent oh yeah talk <laughs> tell, about tell, that tell Serge I'm gonna give you guys the 30 second version of this you go three minutes so so basically these two dudes who I dearly love Put on this on accent, this accent. When, they when they get serious. When they get serious. No, yeah, because no, yeah, you have your normal, have normal accents, accents, the accents that you guys are using today. today. Uh, uh, but uh, this is more so Marco than, than you. you I, 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 heard I heard you pull, you pull it off a few times. What does he say? Marco puts on this like Californian accent where where I have to enunciate every letter in the. No, especially and it really comes out when you say McCallum. You're like, You're like, I'm, really, McCallan, I'm here for McCallan. McCallan. Yeah, McCallan. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so yeah, it's so this phenomenon that occurs whenever you get into, like, your preaching mode. You haven't done it 
in like the you last you mentioned that, that was, <laughs> you, you kind of you kind of cooled off I think it was just like your nerves because we were in the new building or probably yeah. Yeah. but if, if you go back to your first couple of sermons in the, at the incubator yeah. and when we went to the incubator you listen to your first couple of sermons I think you'll pick up on it Mr. Valley Boy over here but like hilarious yeah and so that's where my wife's from 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 the Valley California yeah Rebecca's from SoCal oh I didn't know she is from a small town called Walnut California I think has nothing to do with the actual nut. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Like I think their uh, their mascot was like an acorn. Is it but, a commie uh, town? It's what? Commie? It's must be a, a Marxist. The what? Commie town. Commie uh, Marxist. Yeah, 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 probably. Now that is. Yeah, but anyway, uh, with all due respect. Yeah, that's what happens with you guys. Well, I mean, more so Marco than you, but yeah, I've, I've heard it come around. I don't know what you're talking about. I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, we appreciate you coming and, and giving us your, your opinions, your thoughts. Um, thank you for joining us here at the family table here at the Confessional Taco in the shack um before we close out i actually want to um what i want to say is that you should go listen to propaganda's 20 years but just in case you don't want to go listen to propaganda because whatever you might feel like propaganda's gone way too left or whatever um i'm going to go ahead and read it and that's what we're going to close with because it was it's touching with um touching what izzy was talking about when you asked izzy about um you know the the hostility piece so it's called 20 years well 20 years 20 years but you know who's counting right i mean 20 years she's endured a set uh, endured a sad marriage where sister really ain't have no say in the original arrangements nor the terms thereof for 20 years he beat her senseless Somehow or another, she managed to muster up the quote-unquote bravery to stick around because one day he decided maybe he shouldn't hit her no more. Now granted, that was due to outside pressure that threatened the security of his pockets, but he stopped, right? But the damage was done. And on their 40th wedding anniversary, he decides, well, they both decide. Maybe we'll throw in a little, little shindig. Spare no details, all the expenses, pull out the stops, invite all the family and friends. She is to smile, celebrate her husband's greatness, talk about how far they've gone as a country. I mean, as a couple. They're to reminisce on the good old days when everybody knew the places. They're to talk about all the great trumps, I mean, the great triumphs that they've accomplished. All the lands and the places that they've conquered, I mean, that they stole, I mean, that they visited, and before any of their friends come, in all still silence, you could hear the creak of the floor as he walks, touches her ever so gently, then caresses the smaller of her back and says, Babe, you look, just just look how far you've come. Those last 20 years, they were rough, but these, these have been good. Let's not talk about the last ones because, you know, they make everybody uncomfortable and... They will, will they separate and why would you want to separate? Let's let's unify. Let's talk about unity. What is she to do? Well, she's to hold her little sparkler, wear her pretty lead, red, white and blue dress and act like the first 20 years didn't happen as if she's still not suffering under the thumb of the mental walls that he's done built. Oh, yeah, he ain't hit her no more, but he don't have to. The scars do all the work for her. You know, she ain't been the same since her hip is a little bit out of place, her jaw kind of ajar to the left, so her smile's a little crooked. And every once in a while, he compares her to other wives like, you know, she ain't as pretty as y'all are, but he'd turn around and tell her, I don't see color. I mean, I don't see beauty. She used to be thankful that now she can be in a big house. She used to celebrate her rights, her right to vote, you know, on what's for dinner, right? I mean, things are good now, or at least they're better than they were. You should pay. Uh, you should pat your nation. I mean, your husband on his back. Tell him he's the greatest nation. I mean, the greatest country. I mean, the greatest man in the world. What is she to do? You ask if it was so bad. Why didn't she leave? As a matter of fact, why is she always playing the victim? Why is everything about her? Don't other wives get hit too? Don't all wives matter? Why am I forced to only mourn your scars? You know, girls hit girls all the time. We call that wife on wife crime. Why we need to worry about just yours? And if it was so bad, if it was really so bad, why was he not prosecuted? Why did not all of your friends who saw this all go on step in and say something? Maybe she's making this up. Why did your church not even step in? Instead, silence, you said, this is not our issue. And in weird twist of magic, somehow she be, just became the victim and the villain. And I don't know how this worked. Does he not owe her? Does forgiveness not require restitution first? 
Does the cross you say you cling to does not scream that justice comes before reconciliation? How can we talk about unity if you not ready to admit you wrong? Is she not worth justice? And what about the ladies that fight back? Can you not understand why she might think to take matters into her own hands and punch the sucker every once in a while? Even though we know that vengeance is just a bastard version of justice, can you not understand that pain for which this young lady is suffering? Is it not too late to say you sorry? Justice? Those thoughts uh, don't plague your mind. I don't know. You know what? Never mind. Happy 4th of July. Enjoy your ribs. Taco out. There's no place like the family table A place where we can